Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. I want to talk to you about hills and valleys. I want to talk to you about the hills and the valleys. You know, we're in a series called Yearbook. And it's interesting how yearbooks, they give us highlights. We've, we've kind of gone back and we've turned the page and we've, we've looked at a few pictures and celebrated a few moments. But, you know, yearbooks give you the highlights. They show you the fun times. They, they show you the good stuff and, you know, all, all the memories and the people that were a part of it. But, you know, yearbooks don't always show you the lowlights. Yearbooks don't talk to you about the struggles uh, they, they don't give you the context of the heartache and sometimes the problems you sort through. You know, I thought it, we live in a culture that is focused on highlights. We're, we're all about highlights. I thought about ESPN. Fellas, how many of you, you watch ESPN and you're all about catching up on the scores and who won the game? Only three people watch ESPN? <laughs> Maybe I should have said this. How many of you are watching ESPN right now? We got the app to bring it with us, right? We don't want to miss a single moment. But what's interesting in the sports world is you don't have to sit through an entire game. You can just catch the highlights, just the, the plays kind of the, 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 that make it happen. But, but you know what? There's something that you miss when you only watch the highlights. That game has a story, has an untold story. There are plays, there are struggles, there are, there are decisions that are made all throughout it. But if you're just watching the highlights, you miss the majority of it. You know, sometimes it, maybe through social media. Social media is all about highlights, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Instagram. We're making posts and we're sharing the highlights of our life. Look at where I am. Look at what I just ate. <laughs> Look at who I'm hanging out with. And we kind of share those, those bright, shining moments. And if we're not careful, we'll look at the highlights of other people and compare it to the unedited version of our life. Come on now. So, so whether it's sports highlights or whether it's social media. Or how many have ever watched a movie trailer? And you're thinking, now that's a movie I got to see. And then you go to the theater and you sit through two hours and you're like, what? What a waste of time. The trailer was nothing like the movie. I mean, the trailer gave me the highlights. The trailer was the appeal. But, man, I had to sit through that for what? Even in conversation. How many know in conversation we're tempted to just give highlights? We come to church and say, hey, how you doing? Come on, can I keep it real just for a moment? Got our smile, man. Got our Sunday best, man. We're all on our best behavior. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. What do we want? We just want the highlights, right? What if somebody told us really how they were doing? <laughs> hey, God bless you. Welcome to Healing Place. How you doing? Uh, my cat threw up this morning. Uh, yeah, my kids are acting all crazy, and I got a rash that just won't go away. <laughs> Whoa. We don't want those highlights, right? We, we didn't need to know all that stuff. If we're not careful, sometimes we just live for the highlight. But how many of you know that there are some lowlights that God says, hey, I can help you through that stuff too. 
We live in a world that's conditioned to celebrate the highlight. But the truth is, our lives are filled with struggles as well as triumphs, tragedies as well as good moments. And what's good to know about God is he is Lord over it all. Can I have a good amen? I want you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 20. I want to share with you an Old Testament story that's going to talk to us about hills and valleys. I think there's much for us to learn today through this story. And let me give you just a quick context. This is a battle between the Israelite army and its enemies, Syria. Um, what's interesting to notice is that all throughout the Old Testament, you'll read about the Israelites facing opposition. There's always an enemy trying to come against them. Uh, God will tell them, hey, hold your ground and fight off the enemy. Sometimes God will say, hey, it's time to take ground. And when you step into new territory, you bump into enemies. And there's something for us to learn in that. Life is always full of opposition. You know, it doesn't matter what season you're in. If you're committed to grow and to move forward, you will face some enemies. There's an enemy that's facing Israel, and they're the, it's the Syrian army. Look at 1 Kings chapter 20, and I want to skip around in this chapter and give you some key verses that will help paint the picture for us. But we'll see how he's a God of both the hills and the valleys. 1 Kings chapter 20, starting with verse 1. The Bible says, Now Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria gathered all his forces together. Thirty-two kings were with him, with horses and chariots. Now watch this. We went from one enemy to now we have 32 additional enemies. Isn't it interesting how the devil will try to team up against you? You know, you think you're fighting one battle only to turn the corner and you see three other enemies facing you. Thirty-two kings gathered together their horses and their chariots. You know, the Bible says no weapon formed against you will prosper. But it doesn't say that weapons won't be formed. Weapons are formed against us, but God says, I'm not going to allow them to prosper. Thirty-two kings were with him with horses and chariots, and they went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. Now, Samaria was the capital of Israel. And so the enemy was targeting God's people at its very capital. Skip on down to verse 13. Suddenly, a prophet approached Ahab, the king of Israel, and this is what he said. Thus says the Lord. Oh, I like that. I think you ought to underline that in your Bible. Some of you are in a valley today, and you need to hear, thus says the Lord. Man has given you his opinion. You've sought help from so many other sources. And even well-meaning people will do their best to give you advice. But you need to hear a word from God. Amen. One word from God can change everything. Yeah. The prophet says, thus saith the Lord, have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into your hand today. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, in that verse, who's doing all the work? God is. God's saying, hey, behold. In other words, watch. Watch and see what I'm about to do. I know you feel surrounded by the enemy, but watch what I'm going to do this day. I'm going to deliver you, and you will know that I am the Lord. Look at verse 19. Then these young leaders of the provinces went out of the city with the army which followed them. And each one killed his man. Man to man, the Bible says that the army of Israel began to prevail. 
So the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the cavalry. Then the king of Israel went out and attacked the horses and chariots and killed the Syrians with a great slaughter. Can I have an amen for the reading of the word? Do you see the picture here? The, the, The picture is Israel up against their enemies. And the Bible says that a word from the Lord came and brought deliverance to God's people. This was a tremendous highlight. I'm thankful for the highlights. You know what's interesting is, Trevor, the other day, I had a, I had a little VHS uh, tape. How many members of the VHS days? Okay, so for those of you that are 20 and under, what I'm about to say is totally foreign to you. But there used to be these little ribbons kind of on a reel, a little plastic cassette that was about that big, and you put it in. It looked like a toaster. How many of those VCR days? It looked like a toaster, and you put it in. He found this VHS cassette of me playing basketball when I was in high school. And it was a highlight reel of my junior and senior year. He's like, Dad, what's this? I'm like, I don't know. Let's check it out. So we put it in. We start watching it. And, man, let me tell you, it was on. (laughs) You know the first thing Trevor said is? He said, Dad, what happened to your shorts? (laughs) He said, did you forget to get dressed that day? I'm like, no, son, when we play. I remember back in the day when you played basketball, your shorts were here. He couldn't, he thought I was playing in my underwear. I'm like, no. (laughs) But then the second thing that caught his eye is, he said this, he said, Dad, you were good. Man, you never missed a shot. I mean, every highlight was, whew. I mean, three-pointers, layups, you know. I didn't really do the dunk, but, man, I just, man, just looking all pretty finger roll. Come on, crossover. Uh. He's like, Dad, you were good. I was like, I know. I told him, I said, son, you may see the glory, but you don't know the story. You see, the highlights didn't show how many shots that I missed. Highlights didn't show how many games we lost. He didn't know that man, we struggled my junior and senior year even to make the playoffs. But according to that tape, he thought I was the next LeBron James. <laughs> you see, the world only wants to broadcast highlights. But I'm so glad that the Bible talks about the lowlights too. The Israelites were stationed and positioned against their enemy, and God brought great deliverance to them. That was a mountaintop moment. I want you to know this. If you're taking notes, first of all, number one, you serve a God that is a God of the hills. He's a God of those mountaintop moments. Some of you are here today, and you've experienced a mountaintop moment. How many of you have ever got a job promotion? Let me see your hand. Thank God for that mountain. Thank God for that moment. How many of you, you prayed and believed for a specific job and God opened the doors and gave you the job that you were trusting him for? He's a God of the hills. Some of you were believing for a job and God shut the door to that thing you thought you wanted. He brought you through the hallway, opened another door. You walked through that door and stepped into a room that you said, what in the world am I doing here? And it was even better than what you were anticipating. He's a God of the hills. Some of you have graduated. How many members graduating from high school? How many college grads do we have? Man, what, what a mountaintop moment. Some of you graduated magna cum laude. Some of you graduated summa cum laude. 
Some of you just graduated. Thank you, dear Lordy. What is that? That's a hill. That's a mountaintop moment. And you say, thank you, Lord, for graduation. Some of you got a report back from the doctor, and he says, you know what? I don't understand this, but you are totally cancer-free. The, the MRI that we took a month ago, two months ago, looks totally different than this MRI. I don't understand it, but you're, you, he, he's giving you a clean bill of health. We know those are mountaintop moments. Some of you, when you got married, you know, when you said, I do, you committed your life to someone, you thought, wow, the presence of God. When you begin to have children, or some of you, when you adopted your, your child, that son or daughter that you had sacrificed and, and invested, that moment finally came to pass, and there on the mountaintop, you can experience the presence of God, and you say, thank you, Lord. You're the God of the hills. But let me tell you this. What's your response on the mountains? It's to bow low. There ought to be a sense of humility. When you reach that mountaintop moment, there ought to be an idea of, hey, it was the grace of God that got me here. I didn't do this in my own strength. I didn't do this in my own ability. If you look back to the best moments of your life, somewhere along the way, you can see the hand of God. You can see the help of family and friends. Somebody sacrificed. Somebody believed in you. Somebody gave you a chance. And in that moment, you can't take credit for it. You know, Lord, this was because of you. You know, sometimes when I watch football, I get a little discouraged. You know, you see these guys that, man, as soon as they cross the goal line and they, they score that touchdown, you know, they go into this little celebration mode. They, it's almost like they pre-rehearsed this dance. And, they, man, they're running into the end zone, and then they kind of just, man, 60,000 people are watching them, and they're, they're doing their, you know, all their little moves. And, you know, and as great as that is, you know, I, I get a little discouraged because I'm thinking, wait a second. What about the 10 other guys? Somebody had to snap the ball. Somebody, you had to have a coach that called the play. Somebody had to make a block. Somebody had to, to set this thing up to create a, an avenue for you to score. Don't make that touchdown about you. When you're on the mountaintop, I'm going to tell you this, there was a God who helped you get there. So what's your response? On the hills, it ought to be to bow low. It ought to be a sense of humility and gratitude. When was the last time you said, thank you? When was the last time you acknowledged God and said, thank you for my family? When was the last time you paid your light bill and said, God, thank you for the resource to be able to pay this bill? Come on, quit complaining at Demco and Entergy. Start thanking God that you, thank you, Lord. I got cereal in my pantry. See, gratitude creates opportunities. Humility keeps you grounded. When you're thankful and when you're humble, God says, I can put favor on your life because you're not going to make that mountain about you. When you're on that mountain, you're going to bow low and you're going to recognize me. I think about the Alex Haley. Alex Haley is the famous author that wrote the book Roots. And that book, Roots, was turned into a film, was turned into a miniseries. That book sold 37 million copies. Alex Haley was a Pulitzer Prize winner, noted author, celebrated by many. But in his office, he had a very unique picture on the wall of his office. It was the picture of a turtle sitting on top of a fence post. 
kind of strange, didn't match the decor, was very unusual. But everybody who walked into that office noticed that picture and said, Alex, what's the deal with the picture on the wall? What, you, you love turtles? I don't understand. He said, let me tell you, that turtle did not get on that post by himself. He had help. And so every time somebody comes into my office to celebrate me or tell me how wonderful I am or they acknowledge all of my work and my literary accomplishments, I look at that turtle and I'm reminded I didn't get here on my own. I had help. And when you're on those mountaintop moments, when you experience the goodness of God, please don't take credit to yourself. Please acknowledge that there was one greater than you who brought victory to you. Humility and gratitude recognize God is my source. You see, the Lord had brought victory to the Israelites that day. And it was very important to him that they acknowledged who it was that gave him victory. He says, I've done this not for your sake. I've done it for the character and the integrity of my own name. It reminds me of that time. Remember when those 10 lepers, they were walking by Jesus, and they said, have mercy upon us. I mean, here they're fall, literally falling apart. I mean, the limbs falling off of them. They, they, they had no hope. Lord, help us. Do something. And Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. And the Bible says, as they went, they were healed. All of a sudden, they could feel their toes for the first time. They looked at their fingers and thought, wow. I can give you a high five and not just a high three. I mean, the strength came back to their body, and so they all went on their way except for one. He said, wait a second. I didn't do this. He did. I got to go back to the source. And he falls at the feet of Jesus. The Bible says he was a Samaritan. This foreigner falls at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus says, wait a second. Didn't I heal ten of you? Where are the other nine? How many of you, you want to be the one? I want to be the one that returns back to give him thanks. He's the God of the hills, and so my response is to bow low. Lord, I thank you. You know, we, throughout this series called Yearbook, we've been kind of scrolling back in some of those moments that we've experienced as a church. And uh, I thought about several high moments, mountaintop moments for us as a spiritual community. And one of them is back in the year 2000, we hosted a, a play called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. How many of you have heard that before? Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. We were a little church back in the day, and man, this production comes in. We used our people. It was so cool to see our own, at the time we were Trinity Christian Center, our own men and women and students participating in this play. There's Joe Wright. Joe, I mean, uh, Joe Clark. Joe Clark was Jesus. I, I bet you didn't realize that Jesus literally comes to the 9 o'clock service <laughs> at HPC. He played Christ. Uh, Timmy Strait was the devil. Timmy's our campus pastor up in St. Francis. There's Timmy right there on the right. And uh, he played the part of the devil. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that the, the devil's up in St. Francisville. But, but so Timmy, and then they had the entourage of all the demons, and, you know, you had angels, and then there were people making decisions. And we had planned to show Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames for one week. Do you know after a week, hundreds of people gave their life to Christ? We said, we need to do this again. So we did it a second week. 
Two weeks turned into three weeks, turned into four weeks. We said, you know what, let's take this to the inner city. And so we did Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames in the inner city of Baton Rouge. And people getting saved. Man. We took it to LSU, to the college campuses, and college students are giving their life to Christ. I remember how that was one of the, the mountaintop moments for us as a church. A harvest of souls began to come into the kingdom. And man, every single day we were calling people because those who made a decision for Christ, they filled out a little card. And everyone that said yes to Jesus, we gave them a Bible. And I can remember going into the trailer parks of Moody Dixon. How many knows where Moody Dixon is? Come on, all you Ascension Parish folk. I went to the trailer parks of Moody Dixon and picked up about six or seven boys every single night for weeks. They wanted to come to the play every single night. And they got saved every single night. Man, we don't want to go to hell. And we come into the heaven's gates, hell's flames, and they would come down to the altar. And then they say, hey, where's my Bible? I'm like, listen, you got 12 Bibles already. <laughs> but that was one of those moments where we just sensed, God, we didn't get to this mountain on our own. You've positioned us here as a church to be a beacon of hope and help to those in need. That was the year 2000. I remember in 2001 when we, for the first time, took church to the state fairgrounds. We said, hey, I, we got an idea. What if we were to do church outside? Let's think outside the box. And so we went to the state fairgrounds, and we hosted our first ever Easter egg hunt, and we wanted to make it the most significant hunt ever, Guinness Book of World Record. We said, what's the record for eggs at an Easter egg hunt? Well, at the time, it was 150,000 eggs. So we said, you know what, what if we break that record? So that year, 2001, at the state fairgrounds, we hid, well, we didn't really hide them, look, they're not. <laughs> we placed 157,000 eggs out on those fairgrounds. And met people who would never darken the door of a church, hey, I've got small kids, let's be a part of this egg hunt. And so they would come. And then in that, they experienced, wait a second, there's, there's like something happening. This is like spiritual family. We, we love what we feel. We love what we sense. And that was the beginning of us taking church outside of the walls. We thought, wait, and that was, a, that was a big step for us. And we saw the payoff of that moment, and we said, Lord, that wasn't us, but that was you. See, he's the God of the hills. And when you look back and you see the highlights and those moments that you celebrate, you say, Lord, thank you. This wasn't about me, but this was all about you. God had brought victory to the Israelites. But the prophet told King Ahab, he said, listen, okay, you've won this victory for now, but your enemy's coming back in the spring. I want you to hear me, church, hear me. Just because you defeat the devil one time doesn't mean that he's gone forever. He's going to come back. And sure enough, in the spring, here comes that same evil king with all of his enemy friends, and they're knocking on the door of Israel again. Look at what it says in verse 23. Then the servants of the king of Syria said to him, The Israelites, their gods, are the gods of the hills. Therefore, they were stronger than we were. But if we fight against them in the plains, if we fight them in the valleys, surely we will be stronger than they. Verse 26, So it was. In the spring of that year, that Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were mustered and given provisions, and they went against them. 
Now the children of Israel encamped before them. Watch this picture. Like two little flocks of goats while the Syrians filled the countryside. How many of you know the odds were against them? Some of you are here today and you feel like the odds are stacked against you. I think that's where God does his best work. When people give us no chance, people give us no hope. There's no way. Two little flocks of goats against this Syrian army and all of its allies. And look at what it says here, verse 28. Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel, and this is what he said. Thus says the Lord. There's the word. You need to hear from God, whether you're on the hills or whether you're in the valleys. Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, the Lord is God of the hills. But he's not the God of the valleys. Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Can you say amen? Amen. See, listen, God was making an announcement to the king. He says, listen, your enemies, they think I'm just the God of the hills. See, let me me give you a little mindset. Uh, Let me dial you into what was happening in the ancient world. Many of the pagans believed that there was a God for everything. There was a God of the trees. There was a God of the rivers. There was a God of the rocks. There's a God of the stars. And all these gods only had power within their jurisdiction. But once they stepped outside of that, they had no power. Little did they know, we don't serve many gods, we serve one the one true living God, and he has power and authority over anything and everything. He doesn't leave your zip code and then enter somebody else's zip code, and then he's rendered powerless. He says, any day, any time, any place, God can show up. But the enemy said, listen, because they were successful in the hills, the only reason is because he's a God of the hills. Let's get them in the valley. And if we can get them in the valley, we can take them. You see, the enemies had chariots, and in the valleys, they were long, flat, plain surfaces. They felt like they had an advantage. God surely wouldn't help them in the valley. Some of you, oh, hear me, church. Some of you, the enemy is lying to you. You're in a valley today, and and the enemy's saying, oh, God, he can help you on the mountain, but where is your God now? He wants you defeated. He wants you discouraged. The enemy of your soul wants you to believe that God, he may be good on the mountain, but he can't reach you in the valley. You know what the Scripture says? Look at Psalm 95, verse 4. In his hands are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are also his. Now, come on, you missed it now. What's in his hands? The Bible says in his hands are the deep places, the very lowest of the lows, the deepest, darkest valley. The Bible says he holds it in his hands. Oh, and guess what? The heights and the hills, they're in his power as well. The psalmist David said it this way, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Listen, he's a God of the hills. But watch this. Number two, he's a God of the valleys. And what's your response when you're in the valley? You see, on the mountain, you bow low in humility. But in the valley, you stand tall. You trust him and you persevere. God, I don't understand why I'm here. I don't understand how long I'm going to be here. But, Father, I trust that your grace is sufficient for me in this place. So you stand tall. Don't let the enemy come against you and hammer you and torment you and cause you to lose hope. 
Because the God that you serve, he's a God of the hills, but he's also a God of the valleys. You know, it's amazing on the mountaintops, the scenery is beautiful. I mean, you stand on the mountain and you can see a far way off. It's breathtaking. But there's not a lot of life that grows on the mountaintops. You know where you find life? In the valleys. Because the soil of the valley is rich. It's fertile. A lot of times there are rivers that run through that valley. I'm telling you, if you're in a valley today, be encouraged. God is growing you. God is strengthening you. God is using this valley experience to produce something in you that you're going to need in the future. Are you with me? You see, it doesn't matter your location. God is not confined to your location. The character of God is consistent. You see, if you notice anything about Ahab, he was one of the most wicked kings that Israel ever had. God brought victory not because of the quality of the leader, but because of the character of their God. God brought victory because of who he was. I want to encourage you today that the character of God is consistent. Regardless of our highs or our lows, God's character will keep you stable. I think about some of the valleys that we've walked through as a church, as a community. I think about 2005 and Hurricane Katrina. Many of you, you experienced that. Uh, Tremendous suffering. This community, our state, this whole region was turned upside down. How many members Katrina? It was a game changer. In fact, to this day, it is still on record the costliest natural disaster in U.S. history. I remember them emptying New Orleans and trying to evacuate. August 29, 2005. I'll never forget it. And when our city and our community was in such upheaval, through the grace of God, we were able to make connections with other churches and pastors, and we developed this thing called PRC Compassion. We said, wait a second, what if, what if, what if we just reach out and try to help people? Let's just do what we can. We can't do everything but we can do something. And so we started to, in whatever way, capacity we could, we started to reach into this community. People brought all kinds of supplies here to this church, to this campus. We networked with other churches, and we distributed necessities, bottles of water and personal hygiene items and, you know, just trying to care for individuals. Now, this was back in 2005, and little did we know what we were going to embark upon I remember being in New Orleans for weeks. In fact, this picture right here, this is Pastor Johnny Green. I think this picture sums up the church at its best. It's a church that's not necessarily inside the walls, but it's a church in a pair of gloves and goggles saying, what can we do to help? There were some services that we just had to cancel because you know what? Instead of having church, God said, why don't you be the church? Don't, don't just get together and sing your songs. If people are in need, then get out, sacrifice, help somebody. And for weeks, and many of you, you did the same thing. You opened up your homes. You invited family members and friends. It was whatever we could do to help one another. That was a defining moment for us. I, I, I'll never forget how that experience marked us forever as a church. And that's when I began to learn the difference between cautious churches and courageous churches. A cautious church focuses on people they're trying to keep, but a courageous church will focus on people they're trying to reach. 
And I'm so thankful to be a part of a courageous church. I'm thankful for the men and women who walk in such courage and strength and say, you know what, it's not about me. God, you've blessed me. You've helped me. Now, how can I serve somebody else? We're not just trying to keep us for and no more. We're looking for a need. Where can we add value? How can we serve? You see, that's the spirit that grows the church. Katrina, in that valley, God grew some beautiful things among us. And then how can we ever forget the summer of 2016? You remember what was happening in our city? First of July, the crazy loss of life, both civilian and police officers. You remember the tension that we walked through? I mean, driving down the streets, a man just being in public places, and you just didn't know. And the enemy was trying to tear us apart. But we took what we had learned in previous crises and we applied it to the the present day and said Lord would you use us to bring hope and help and healing to a city that desperately needs it and I remember having a service here a collected service with other churches other pastors participated remember that prayer night we did here on a Wednesday night this place was packed had a combination of different churches leading us in worship and pastors standing on this stage, you know, positioning us as a spiritual community. We said it's not about the color of your skin. It's not about your background. It's not about how much money you make. It's about Jesus in your heart and what the enemy is meant for harm. We trusted God to turn it around and use it for good. I remember the privilege of being able to host several funeral services here fallen officers, to be able to honor their life and stand together with men and women and say, this will be a city that will be held together by the grace of God. The very name on our sign, a healing place for a hurting world, that says something to people who are in the valleys. If you're in a valley this morning, I want you to know God has not forgotten you. He says, I'm Lord of both the hills, but I'm also the Lord in the valley. Now, let let, let me say this before I close. And I want to ask Josh to come up. But your position, your, your posture, whether it's hill or valley, I want you to hear me. Your posture on the mountaintop or in the valley will determine how long you stay there. If you're in a valley and you're losing hope, God says, lift up your eyes. Scripture says in Psalm 3, for you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. God's saying to men and women this morning that are in the valleys, you stand tall because I am with you. Don't you dare lose hope. Don't you let the devil lie to you about who I am. That's what God's saying. He's given you a word today. He's saying, when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, don't be afraid. I'm with you. You stand tall if you're in the valley. If you're on the mountaintop today, bow your heart. Gratitude. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. God, every good and perfect gift, it has come from you. You bow low on the mountains and you stand tall in the valleys. He's a God of both the hills and the valleys. You say, Mike, well, (laughs) my life's not falling apart. I'm not in a valley. 
but I haven't won the Super Bowl either. I'm not on a mountaintop. I'm just kind of in that in-between. Can I tell you this? He's a God both of the hills and the valleys. And watch this. He's a God of everything in between. If your life is just ordinary, just kind of getting through the day, guess what? You know what your position is then? You're not necessarily bowing low or standing tall, but you're just going to stay faithful. I'm just going to stay faithful today. I'm not on a high. I'm not on a low. Man, I'm just kind of, man, I'm just, I'm here trying to be responsible with what God has put in front of me. Then you stay faithful because he's a God of everything in between. It's amazing the faithfulness of our God in each and every moment and season of our life. I want to encourage you today. Let him be the God of both hills and valleys everything in between. You receive that today? Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.